put some respect on Keegan Murray's name. The rookie drops 29 points to lead the Sacramento Kings to their sixth straight victory. And Keegan is being asked to do what no other rookie in this class is. I'll explain that right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And if you've been listening to Locked on Kings or following Locked on Kings since the buildup to this past summer's draft, you know how big of a fan I am and, and advocate I am for Keegan Murray and his game. And tonight, the points and the rebounds are really going going to bring a lot of deserved attention to Keegan, and rightfully so. But the reality is Keegan Murray has been making winning plays for the Sacramento Kings all season long. Tonight, he gets his career-high 29 points, shoots 10 of 12 from the field, 6 of 7, or excuse me, 5 of 7 from three-point range, also pulls down 14 rebounds in tonight's sixth straight Sacramento Kings win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. A really fun game. There's a lot to talk about. Of course, we're going to start and spend a lot of time talking about Keegan Murray. You're going to hear from Keegan Murray in this podcast. You're going to hear from head coach Mike Brown talking about Keegan Murray in this podcast. Uh, we're we're also going to talk a lot about what the Sacramento Kings as a team did. That's actually coming up after we talk about Keegan in this first segment because the Kings did something fantastic in the second half worth bringing up. We're going to talk, talk about De'Aaron Fox, of course, talk about DeMontis Sabonis and his uh, triple-double. So much to get to in this podcast today, but starting with Keegan Murray is the only appropriate way to start this podcast tonight. Look, no other rookie in this draft class is doing what Keegan Murray is asked to do. Keegan Murray is a top four pick. Typically, when you're a top pick, you go to a team that is struggling, that is rebuilding. Now, of course, in the past, whether it was trading pick rights or it was uh, a team performing better than expected, which, of course, the Sacramento Kings are at this point in time, still in the third seed, there have been rookies that have come in and, and been asked to be significant contributors to teams that are having success and that are winning right away. Keegan's not the first in history to do this. But in this draft class in particular, yes, there are other rookies that are putting up more impressive numbers than Keegan is. But Keegan is being asked every single night to be a starter on a team with playoff expectations. And you're going to hear in just a second, I asked head coach Mike Brown what he is asking of Keegan Murray, what Keegan is doing that no other rookie in the NBA is doing right now, and the significance of that, not just for the recognition in like a rookie of the year race, but just for the development of Keegan Murray, even as an older rookie, to ask a rookie to step into the NBA, to, within a handful of games, step, in, step into a starting role and contribute at a high level for a team that expects to win every single night at this point, or a majority of nights at this point, a team that is looking to turn themselves around after this massive drought and not just crawl into the playoffs through the play-in or sneak their way in, but 
currently sits in the third seed and is hoping to secure a straight-up playoff series and not even have to worry about the play-in. That is a lot to ask of someone who has never played in the NBA before and has never played against NBA competition. He is the second-fastest player to 100 threes. He had 102 career threes tonight in 42 games. So 42 games played, uh, he has 102 career threes now. He is the second fastest player to 100 threes in NBA history. Second fastest rookie to score 100 career threes. Tied with Luka Doncic. Elite elite skill. And of course, we know that the majority of the offense that Keegan Murray provides, the majority of the scoring that he's providing is from beyond the arc, is from three-point range. So when you're primarily offensively a spot-up shooter, you're going to get a lot of attempts like Keegan Murray has. However, what Keegan showed in this game tonight is his ability to play on all three levels. I was having a conversation with the Sackbees Chris Biederman before the game, and Chris pointed out to me that Keegan has uh, one of the fewest or one of the lowest uh, two-point field goal percentages on the Kings roster. Doesn't really have much of a mid-range game and has struggled at times attacking the basket and finishing through contract, uh, contact and finishing strong. Keegan has been challenged by his coaching staff, amongst other things, has been challenged to be more aggressive attacking the rim, to not allow your shots to get blocked, to not just try and finish with a soft hook or a layup, but to try and dunk the ball, go up with physicality, go up with force. Well, he did that tonight. He scored on all three levels and allowed his scoring on all three levels to open up opportunities for his teammates. Keegan also spoke about the importance of playmaking and how playmaking has been a skill that he's been asked to develop and he's been focusing a lot on. And playmaking isn't just assisting and, and dropping dimes to your team teammates like DeMontis Sabonis does, playmaking is doing what you can do offensively to cause defenses to shift, cause defenses to adjust how they guard you, and that opens up opportunities for other players. You're not just a good playmaker if you can tally a high amount of assists. You call it the hockey assist, right? When you assist the assister, meaning let's say Keegan passes the ball to De'Aaron, who then passes the ball to Kevin Herter for the three. Well, De'Aaron Fox gets the assist, but Keegan Murray gets the hockey assist in that sense because his pass to De'Aaron set up that assist that De'Aaron got. And that is something that a lot of teams actually keep track of, and you'll hear a lot of NBA players talk about, even if it's not an official stat in the stat column. That is playmaking, and that is something that Keegan Murray has been working on. But in addition to being asked really the only rookie in this class to be asked to be a starter and not have to and not be allowed to really make mistakes and just put up big numbers on a bad team and have the ball run through your hands on a bad team in addition to that look Keegan Murray is the perfect rookie in this class for this role that's the reality of the situation and I know you would look at Paolo Bancaro and think, wow, look at the numbers that Paolo Bancaro is putting up. Look at the great stuff that he's doing for the, uh, for the Orlando Magic. Man, you, you take that and replace that production with Keegan Murray in, in Sacramento. Boy, Paolo would have been amazing here. I think Paolo would have been fantastic here for the Sacramento Kings. Paolo Bancaro would not result or would not contribute to Kings winning basketball as well as Keegan Murray hats. And the importance of this conversation all has to do with fit. Go back to the conversations that we were having here on Locked on Kings that many Sacramento Kings fans, NBA draft analysts, period, were talking about when it came to Keegan Murray versus Jaden Ivey back in the summertime. It was a fit versus talent competition, or rather conversation, debate. A lot of us thought Keegan Murray was the better fit, but Jaden Ivey 
had the higher ceiling or had this more this higher talent, this higher flair. Well, I don't necessarily know if that's still true at this point. I think Keegan Murray has an incredibly high ceiling as well, and he's continuing to prove that, but that's not what this conversation is about. Let's focus on fit, because when we think fit, we think positional or filling a team need, right? And what Keegan Murray does, that starting four spot, someone who can space the floor and who has a high basketball IQ, that was a massive need for the Sacramento Kings. So, of course, he fills that fit. He is that kind of fit for this Kings team. But there's a different element of fit that we hadn't really talked about because we didn't know the Sacramento Kings were going to be in the position they are now where it is significantly important. Uh, a couple nights ago in the Kings win in Los Angeles, he primarily stepped up as a rebounder with DeMontis Sabonis out, grabbed 10 rebounds in that game, only scored 10 points. We've seen him make plays in the fourth quarter, drawing charges, hitting big shots every once in a while where it wasn't necessarily a, a big game or a great game for Keegan, but in those moments, in the fourth quarter, he made the right winning play. That is a skill that I don't know if any other rookie in this class, I don't believe any other rookie in this class has as much as Keegan has. And it comes with the experience, the age, the high basketball IQ, and the good positional fit that he is for the Sacramento Kings. Keegan Murray, in my opinion, continues to prove that he was the perfect fit for the Kings. He may not win rookie of the year. He might not be the best rookie in this class historically when his career is all said and done. He might not be. But for where the Sacramento Kings are, for what they are trying to do, Keegan Murray, I think, is the perfect guy for the job and can do what the Kings need him to do better than any other rookie in this class. That is where he is the best fit for the Sacramento Kings this season. You're going to hear from Mike Brown here in just a second. I asked Mike about what he is asking his rookie to do, and Mike breaks it down better than I could. And then after you hear from Mike Brown, you're going to also hear from Keegan Murray. I asked Keegan about not just the confidence that he has in himself, but the confidence that the Kings, his Kings teammates and his players have in him. And at the very end, I think it's a really cool soundbite. I wanted to include it in. He was asked about the Keegan Murray chants, right? Scott Moe, Kings PA announcer. You hear him at the beginning of every single Kings podcast. He says Keegan and the entire crowd says Murray. And Keegan talks about what that means to him and what that means to his family. Take a listen. Mike, more on Keegan. It's, there aren't a lot of top four picks that are asked to be starting contributors Correct. to a winning team. Correct. Can you speak to that challenge that's placed upon his <clears throat> shoulders as a rookie to contribute the way he is for a playoff team or hopeful playoff team? Yeah, and, and I said this earlier, you know, <clears throat> especially when he was going through his struggles, he's in a different spot than – Probably the first six or seven players. I don't, you know, I can't think of everybody off the top of my head because, you know, if it, you look at the young man in Orlando, very good player. He's going to be a great player in this league. He can make six mistakes in a row and he will still be on the floor. Not only that, they will still play through him, you know. Um, same with the young man in Houston. Uh, obviously, the, the kid in Oklahoma City's hurt, the kid in Detroit, you know, the kid in, in Indiana, he's coming off the bench. And so it's, it's all different, you know, and especially when you're not winning at a high clip and you're going to be allowed to play through multiple mistakes and still stay on the floor. Keegan's not getting that. If he makes one mistake, I mean, you guys know, I'm, I'm going to let him hear. He's going to get an earful. If he makes two mistakes, he's probably coming out the game. So he's got to be uh, at a level 
right now that most of those guys don't have to be because of the situation that he's in and the amount of pressure that I'm putting on him, which he's more than capable of doing. And and so I hope at the end of the day when people think of rookie of the year, when they think of you know the first team all rookie and all that stuff, that they understand that his journey right now is different than the other guys that were drafted around him, and he's responding the right way. You've shared with us many times your confidence is always the same no matter what game you're playing in, but what about the confidence of your teammates and even the fans and your jumper that they've developed? Yeah, uh, I mean, especially playing late game, um, my teammates are always uh, have the most confidence in me and um, my abilities and Domas, uh, especially just harping on me that I always do the right thing and I know that he knows I'm a really good player and just him telling me that um, every single day helps me a lot. So um, I feel like just overall our team uh, is kind of rallied around me and uh, I'm grateful for that. My apologies if you've answered this before, I'm guessing you have, but what do you think about the PA announcer and the crowd chanting your name the way they do and how, how did that feel the first time and how is it, are you used to it now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like throughout the season it gets louder and louder, which is really cool. Um, and um, at first I kind of didn't realize the, the significance of it. Um, and now I know it's something that you just can't take for granted. And um, it's something that is really special to me. Um, and it's really special for my family, too, just hearing that. So we've talked a lot about the star of the game tonight, Keegan Murray, but let's talk about the Kings as a team and what they were able to do defensively in the second half of this game. In the first half, the Kings offense was not bad and wasn't necessarily struggling, but they were not playing at the level of the Oklahoma City Thunder offense that was shooting nearly 60% from three-point range uh, and, and nearly 60% from the field overall. Like They came out of the gate red-hot offensively, and it wasn't that Sacramento was necessarily playing horrible defense. Give OKC credit. It, they weren't just destroying the Sacramento Kings in the paint, which, of course, we've seen too many times this season. They were hitting a lot of shots. So credit to the Oklahoma City offense. I thought Sacramento was fortunate in a lot of ways to have the game be as close as it was at halftime. That being said, the second half adjustments that the Sacramento Kings def made defensively, but it wasn't like a, a night and day difference adjustment-wise. They stuck to their game plan and OKC just started missing some shots. So the Kings really, a lot of their game plan defensively on a nightly basis is we're not going to let you get to the paint as much. We're going to give you more opportunities from three-point range. If you beat us out there, fine. And OKC was beating the Kings from out there in the first half. But in the second half, a different story. The Sacramento Kings hold the Thunder to just 47 points in the second half. That's huge. And in reality, the Thunder crossed the 40-point threshold with just a couple minutes left in this game. This game ended up being a lot closer than it needed to be, and the ending was a little more scary than it needed to be, right? The Thunder got some steals, forced some turnovers, um, some questionable officiating, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Regardless, uh, the game finished a little bit closer than necessarily we wanted to and expected, and the Thunder scored actually a lot of points in the final minute and a half of this game that got them close to that 50-point threshold. So in reality, defensively, for the majority of the second half, the Kings held the Oklahoma City Thunder to just around 40, if not right under 40 points. 22 points allowed in the third quarter, 25 points allowed in the fourth quarter. Anytime you look at a Sacramento Kings box score and you see a 20 in a quarter that they've allowed, 20 or really 29 or less, you see a two is the first number, that is a win for the Sacramento Kings organization. If they could do that, uh, have two or more less than 30-point quarters allowed a night, I'm telling you the Sacramento Kings team is one of the hardest teams in the NBA to beat. And they're not close to that at this point in time. They're able to do it tonight. 
but they're not they're not close to being that kind of team consistently yet but we see how much success that they can have how they're able to pull away with how dynamic their offenses when defensively they're able to do that the thunder shot 12 of 21 from three point range in the first half 12 of 21 they were just hitting basically everything just doing a great job sharing the ball too and spreading out the kings defense in the second quarter 4 of 9 I'm rather, sorry the second half 4 of 19 Again, we're talking about the Kings' game plan here. Allow the Thunder to take a lot of threes. If they beat you from three-point range, so be it. But we're not going to get beat on the inside. The Kings didn't really get beat or bullied on the inside, and the Thunder stopped hitting threes, which allowed the Kings to create a little bit of separation and pull away and ultimately win this game. That adjustment by the Sacramento Kings is extremely significant, is worth pointing out. Again, if the Kings can find a way to do that consistently, they are, I mean, they're already a winning team right now, they're going to be a one of the best teams in the NBA if defensively they can find a way to consistently do that, and I firmly believe that because they're the third seed right now with a bad defense. But when the defense plays like this at times and with the help of the Oklahoma City Thunder missing some shots and the game plan going right, this is a very, very dangerous team. It's worth pointing out. We're going to talk about De'Aaron Fox. I got to talk about, of course, DeMontis Sabonis and his triple-double. Plus, I want to talk about this Golden 1 Center atmosphere and Sacramento is getting their status back. I'll explain what that is later on in the podcast. But for right now, I want to tell you about a great sponsor of the Locked On Kings podcast, a longtime sponsor here with Locked On, that is Built Bar. Look, we're in January. It is the time of New Year's resolutions, and a lot of our resolutions are to eat healthy, to lose weight, maybe to put on muscle, to overall just feel better. And if you want to accomplish all or one of those goals without having to sacrifice those sweet treats, those goodies that you love to eat every single night after dinner or maybe before dinner if you're bad like me, Built Bars, Built Granola Bars, and Built Marshmallow Puffs, or uh, their protein-infused marshmallows, these options are here for you to satisfy that sweet tooth, but also be extremely healthy for you. Their protein-infused marshmallows are amazing, but their built bars are really what they're known for, covered in 100% chocolate. So if you're like my wife, a chocoholic, you can still scratch that itch or uh, satisfy that taste bud or that craving. But check this out. Only 130 calories, 6 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein on average in a built Bar. And no longer do you have to order built Bars online and wait for them to be shipped to you. Although I think that's a fantastic option uh, if you like specific flavors of bars and want to build your own box. You can definitely do that. But now you can go to your local Sam's Club or go to Walmart. Get a box of built Bars right now in the pharmacy section. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. It's amazing that Keegan Murray is the star of the night on a night where his teammate had a triple-double. DeMontis Sabonis, oh, he's out with illness, non-COVID related, misses a game. Kings win that game. Sabonis, he's coming back. Is he going to be on a minutes restriction? How's he going to look? How much better is he feeling? Oh, no big deal. He just drops a triple-double. 18 points, 13 rebounds, 14 assists. And he had the assists in the double digits before he had the rebounds. I mean, what? I'm just, I'm, a, 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 I'm like a, a record on repeat at this point in time, or a song on, on, on shuffle or, or repeat every single night. Wow, look what DeMontis Sabonis is doing. I mean, he, he averaged a triple-double last week when he won the, uh, the, the Western Conference Player of the Week award. He comes right back in his first game this week, drops a triple-double. Fifth triple-double of the season, the SAC-era franchise record for triple-doubles is six. 
he's going to break that. He's going to tie that probably within the next handful of games and maybe even break it within the next handful of games as well with how well DeMontis Sabonis is playing. When he steps onto the floor, magical things happen for him. Great things happen for the Sacramento Kings. But the main thing about DeMontis Sabonis that I want to talk about tonight is the... Uh, the connection that he has with King's rookie, Keegan Murray. And Keegan actually spoke about this after the game. I'm not going to play that audio for you, but I encourage you to go look it up and, and hear what he had to say. But Sabonis, in a lot of ways, has really taken Keegan under his wing and challenged him. He knows that Keegan Murray knows to make the right basketball plays. Just like Mike Brown is challenging Keegan, DeMontis Sabonis is challenging Keegan. And I thought one of the best things that Keegan actually said after the game is when he was challenged to uh, to grab more rebounds, that lit a fire under him a little bit. And since then, he's been a master. Uh, well, I wouldn't say a master, but he's been very, very good at grabbing rebounds for the Kings. His second straight double-double that he had tonight. But DeMontis Sabonis is someone who is so dominant on the glass that Keegan admitted, and this was maybe my favorite soundbite we've ever gotten out of Keegan, he admitted that when he came into the league and when he first started playing, like he just assumed that those rebounds belong to Sabonis. And, and like that transparency, I think, is significant. Because he's not saying, like, oh, I'm lazy, and I thought, oh, DeMontis will get it, and I, I don't have to worry about it because DeMontis Sabonis will get it. I don't have to worry. That wasn't necessarily, or at least that's not my interpretation of what he said. My interpretation is... Coming into the league, playing with one of the best rebounders in the game, okay, I'm going to stay out of his way. Those are his boards. He's going to crash the glass. That's his job. I'm going to stay out on the perimeter. I think that's very transparent for a rookie to say because I'm pretty sure there are hundreds of other rookies over the course of the NBA that have played with players who dominate in one specific category and say, okay, that's what they do. I'm going to stay out of their way. I don't, I don't think that's a negative thing at all. I think that's a very transparent lesson that Keegan has learned. And he showed in Wednesday's win in Los Angeles that he can grab rebounds when the Kings need him to when Sabonis is gone. And tonight he showed that he can grab even more rebounds, 14, when Sabonis is here. And Sabonis has really taken Keegan under his wing. He had a moment tonight where I think it was after Keegan's dunk in the first half tonight, where as they were walking to the bench, Sabonis kind of wrapped his arm around him, gave him a little chest bump, tried to get him to uh, to smile and to show a little emotion, which Keegan doesn't necessarily always do on the floor. Their relationship is really cool, uh, and that mentorship role that, that Sabonis has taken of Keegan I think is very significant, almost just as significant uh, as the triple-doubles that he's putting up. Let's talk about De'Aaron Fox really quick. De'Aaron finished with 25 points tonight, 10 of 22 from the field, not his best night offensively shooting the basketball, four rebounds, two assists. I want to see that assist number go up, but that's not... Oh, they changed the lighting here in the Golden 1 Center. What do you know? I actually kind of like it a little bit better. Well, no, I'm even darker, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, back on track. Uh, De'Aaron, if I'm being nitpicky, like I want more assists out of De'Aaron Fox. I think De'Aaron expects more assists out of him, and offensively, even though he had 25 points, which is the second highest on the team, it wasn't an incredible offensive night for De'Aaron. De'Aaron hit big shots when he needed to, played great, played solid, was fine. Like, that's, that's how I look at De'Aaron Fox's game. What I want to talk about with De'Aaron Fox is this. He picked up his ninth technical foul tonight. Nine technical fouls. His max in his career in a season is 10, which was the 2020-2021 season. So some people might say, wow, De'Aaron's getting a lot more technical fouls. Is that a problem? I don't think it's a problem at all. I think De'Aaron Fox is standing up for himself. I think De'Aaron Fox has gotten to a point where he knows that reputation and star power has a major effect on officiating in the league, whether the officials want to admit it or not. That is the reality of the situation. 
and De'Aaron recognizes that he doesn't necessarily get the calls and doesn't necessarily get the treatment that he deserves as someone of his status. And it's not even just that. It's De'Aaron Fox is someone who attacks the rim, who gets to the paint, who goes in amongst the bigs and gets physically punished because of that, takes a lot of shots, takes a lot of hits because of that, and does not get to the line as much as he should. In this particular uh, game, he got a technical foul actually going to the bench and sitting on the bench. Why? Because he took a shot, and as far as I understand, I, I haven't watched it, but from what I saw on Twitter, apparently he was bleeding. So De'Aaron's taking a shot, he's bleeding, he's upset that he's bleeding, and he gets issued a technical foul. I have no issue whatsoever with him defending himself, with him sticking up for himself and saying, this is BS. Look at me, I'm bleeding. I didn't just start bleeding. I didn't walk into somebody's elbow or walk into somebody's fist. Like, this this is not okay. We don't deserve this treatment. And there were a lot of Kings, in particular Fox and Sabonis, who were clearly very frustrated by the officiating tonight. Now, I'm not going to go down a huge rabbit hole of officiating. I will go on a, a little bit of a rant, though, here about uh, the stupid challenge system. What is the point of the challenge system? Like, I, I get it's hopefully allowed coaches to correct officiating mistakes that happen in game. Look, officials are human. I expect them to make mistakes, whatever. But the challenge system needs to be adapted because so many times this season we've seen different coaches, and Mike Brown especially, has had to use their challenge on calls that were just clearly missed that then burn that challenge and you don't get it later on in the game. Like if you win that challenge, you should get that challenge back for later on in the game. And there have been a handful of coaches that have had to waste their challenge on terrible calls. Then there's another bad call late in the game where a challenge would be necessary and they don't have that. It's like you get punished for holding the referees accountable with that challenge system. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, what the hell was the point of Mike Brown's challenge tonight? And I'm not saying this is a bad challenge by Mike Brown. I'm saying what the hell was the point by the NBA and the officials with tonight's challenge? Because if I recall, I can't remember who it was that went up for an offensive rebound on Oklahoma City, went over the back of Chemezi Metu. A foul was called on the plate. It initially wasn't on Metu. It was on maybe Malik Monk or someone else. I honestly don't remember who it was on. So in, 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 in live, like watching the game live, live speed, it didn't look like a foul. The officials thought it was. We watch it back on the Jumbotron. You get this big reaction from the Golden 1 Center crowd. Why? Because it wasn't a foul. There was no contact made by the Sacramento Kings. If anything, Shemezi Metu was standing there in position to grab a rebound, and a player came over his back. Didn't do anything. So there's a challenge. We find out that the Sacramento Kings won that challenge, meaning the call who was against a different king not named Shemezi Metu was wrong, except instead of the Sacramento Kings getting the ball or there being a jump ball or them wiping that foul off, they changed the foul call to Chemezi Metu. What is the point? If it's a successful challenge, they got the initial call wrong on who the foul was on, so the challenge is successful, but they changed the call then to a different King to, make, to say the foul stands. What is the point? It makes no sense to me. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It defeats the whole purpose of a challenge system because, hell, why not look in the background of a replay if I'm challenging a play of a foul that's happening in the foreground, but in the background I see De'Aaron Fox trip, uh, trip Shea Gilgis-Alexander or put two hands on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Can I just say, okay, this wasn't a foul, but back there was the foul. Like, what's the point? 
It's so ridiculous to me. It was a dumb, uh, just a silly situation, a silly challenge. Now, in the end, justice was accomplished because whoever was fouled, I still don't remember who it was, stepped to the free throw line, missed both free throws. Ball really didn't lie, and every single person in the Golden 1 Center ended up getting a free cookie. So in the end, it ended up working out. But from a challenge standpoint, I just think the challenge system is stupid, and tonight's challenge especially was ridiculous. This episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis. They have the best game lines for every single NBA game, fun prop bets around the Kings season. The odds have gotten a little bit better for the Sacramento Kings to win a championship. I don't know if you can bet. I have to check to see if you can bet on whether or not the Kings will win the Pacific Division. The divisions really don't mean anything, so I imagine there's not a game line for that. But if there is, put some money on that right now and try and cash in on that. Hopefully you cash in on the over-under for the Sacramento Kings taking the over on their projected win total coming into uh, this season. Regardless of what you're betting on, whether it's the NBA, uh, the NFL playoffs, the build-up to Super Bowl, combat sports like MMA uh, or boxing, or even if you're like a golf guy or when baseball comes back, regardless of what you're betting on, bet online is the best place to do it. If you love sports podcasts too, you can even find those on Bet Online as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Make sure you head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. In the early 2000s, Arco Thunder, Arco Arena, was considered one of the most difficult places to play, period. Maybe the most difficult places to play. And that wasn't something that the Sacramento Kings and Kings players bestowed upon the city. That was what a lot of opposing uh, players bestowed upon Sacramento with the cowbells and the volume and, again, Arco Thunder. And just, like, Sacramento was, for a long time, the most difficult place to play in the NBA. Well, of course, with the Kings being on a 16-year playoff drought and a move to a different, bigger building, the Kings haven't necessarily had that kind of effect. Well, it's starting to come back. Kings fans are getting their swagger back in the sense that not only are they finally rooting for a good team, but they're showing up every night. They're making a lot of noise. Sacramento is quickly becoming one of the most difficult places for Kings players, to, or rather, I'm sorry, Kings opponents to play in, and of course, one of the most fun places for Kings players to enjoy. I thought that was worth pointing out because the Golden One Center crowd tonight, I know it's a Friday night, but they were fantastic as usual. Let me know how you're feeling about tonight's game, Keegan Murray's performance and everything. You can reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack, email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com, or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. But for tonight, we are finished. Heck, it might be the next day. It might be Saturday already when you're listening to this pod. Whenever you're listening, I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you for your support. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.